0: from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, a land-grant, space-grant,
1: R1 research institution. Learn more at wvu.edu.
0: Good evening. I'm Suzanne Higgins. On the Legislature Today, lawmakers praised the professionals who work with victims of domestic and sexual violence. We'll have that story later in the program, but first, an update on both the Senate and House proposed state budgets with Brad McElhenney at West Virginia Metro News and Stephen Allen Adams of Ogden Newspaper. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks. You know, we were all following uh, the Senate floor session today because Senate Bill 150, their proposed uh, state budget was on second reading. Apparently, you know, we were expecting amendments today but it was advanced to third reading uh, with the ability to amend. Uh, We're told that that'll be taken up tomorrow, Saturday, they're in session. But we did get a sneak peek of what those amendments are gonna look like. Stephen, I'll I'll, I'll begin with you. Um, We heard from Senator Craig Blair, finance chairman. Tell us what he had to say.
2: Sure, well, one of the big amendments that he is pushing forward is restoring funding to the intellectual and uh, developmental disabled uh, waiver program uh, that was originally cut in the senate finance uh, committee's budget earlier this week they lowered it from 9.8 by and they lowered it by 10 million. This restores that funding. From back what the into governor
0: hush- proposes, Th- the, the governor proposed almost 20 million to wipe out that waiting list of a thousand.
2: That's correct. So this amendment, if adopted tomorrow, would put that funding back to the way the governor recommended it to be.
0: And you know, um, I, I was told by the Senate Minority Leader uh, Brad that. Uh, they had stayed late to put this very mm. amendment together and so the republicans kind of stole their their thunder by coming out and saying we're, we're going to refund that
1: i was expecting an argument today and if you'll recall all the way back to yesterday the governor had said i'm not signing this budget without this money that it I was promised.
0: non-negotiable in his words.
1: non-negotiable he said so uh you know on the timeline of events today democrats came out with a press release a statement saying that they were going to push for this amendment today and then we began to hear uh that republicans were on board with that too uh stephen noticed that that there was a amendment in the system with senator blair the finance chairman's um, name on it and he was going to put this money in uh we on metro news talk line had jeremiah samples the deputy director of uh, the Department of Health and Human Resources who said, yes, we've been talking this morning and we've got it worked out. So, you know, the drama that we were expecting didn't unfold, which is bad for us from a news perspective, but in terms of um, trying to reach agreement on the budget and uh, getting over this particular
2: conflict, it's a good thing. And it should be noted that the funding that they used to go ahead and put that and fund that back to $9.8 million comes from a $14 million padding sort of surplus that they included in the Senate Finance version of the budget. So now that padding is just $4 million.
0: Yeah, uh, there's, there is not much room, and we've um, already uh, got... Uh, a peek at another uh, amendment, Stephen, that um, Senator Stallings is suggesting that we prepare for the coronavirus.
2: Yes. Uh, Senator Ron Stallings, Democrat from Boone County, has proposed taking $2 million from the uh, operating expenses line item of the state Supreme Court and taking that, putting it in the governor's contingency fund. To, create basically a fund to prepare for coronavirus, which of course is making headlines and a lot of people are concerned about it and a number of delegates and senators have raised concerns that the governor's budget and the budget as presented by both committees really hasn't included any additional funding to prepare for that just in case. So this 2 million, if it's adopted tomorrow, will at least put some more money in that line item so we can prepare so DHHR can Come up with plans and better prepare the public for what might happen and what, what some say probably will happen. With coronavirus coming to West Virginia.
0: You know, Brad, we, we heard uh, Senator Stalling say maybe this is something that we dip into the rainy day fund. Can you talk about you know some of some of these other funds that um, you know are available when we are putting the state budget together? We have the rainy day fund, but. But more often than not, there's that um, excess lottery fund. Mm -hmm. And this is the time in the session when we start hearing these uh, amendments that are calling upon designation of these uh, excess lottery funds. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and and sometimes you'll hear them talk about uh, sweeping accounts uh, Mm -hmm. if if budget times are tight, unspent money in the agencies. Uh, But you know, what, what Senator Stallings is talking about preparing to do is uh, deal with potentially a public health emergency and if you'll remember the beginning of the session one of the the topics of conversation was the governor said that there's three hundred million dollars in Medicaid reserves and and he wanted to plug a budget gap with a hundred million or so of that and leave another hundred and fifty million uh, into a rainy day account specifically for Medicaid money uh, you know if, if this coronavirus possibility becomes um, as challenging, as straining as as people are saying it might, well, that money might come in handy. But in the meantime, uh, you know, if if Senator Stallings is looking for $2 million, well, we've got 150 million in reserve.
0: Yeah, um, and and we we heard we've heard in both the House and Finance um, uh, committees the the you know uh, several amendments to try to um, fund. Particular things that didn't get through in this budget: uh, sexual and domestic violence, the um, the the Beckley Home for Veterans that they've been trying to get. Uh, we're we're hearing multiple the Mark, train. the Mark Train. There was a lot of discussion in that. Um, what what else are we hearing in those committees where things are are still in flux?
2: Well, one of the big bills, of course, we're waiting on right now is House Bill 4092, the foster care bill that includes about. Uh, 16.8 million uh, the fund the reimbursement rates for providers and for foster families and for kinship families. Now, this is in the House version of the budget. It has not been taken up in committee yet. It's been double committee reference to judiciary and then to uh, finance on the Senate side. That's obviously a bill that has a big price tag to it. Right now, of course, one committee, the House uh, Judiciary Committee is looking at the Senate's Uh, intermediate appellate courts bill which of course also has a price tag anywhere from 6.3 million for its first full year operation up to 7.2 million if they were to include uh, criminal appeals in that as well that's another big price tag item and based on whatever amendments come out of committee today that price tag could also go up so there's still a lot of moving parts uh, before we get to the end of the session next week.
1: Sometimes what they will do within these finance committees also is designate things to be on the surplus list, Mm -hmm. which means basically if we get to the end of the fiscal year and there is any money left over, then you go down the list. Uh, So that list right now includes some of Governor Justice's priorities, I believe, Um, what we used to call Jim's Dream, uh, which is now called Jobs and Hope. It's sort of an intersection of uh, workforce training and um, drug addiction rehabilitation. Uh, so millions of dollars potentially being cut from Jobs and Hope, but that is in surplus. Uh, a few million dollars to tourism that is on that surplus
0: list. Now, which bill, or which, uh, which chamber's uh, proposal are you talking about? We've got the House mm. and then the Senate. Now, I believe the Senate uh, carved some some funding from both the community and schools program mm-hmm. that, that's, a, that's a another pet another governor at Justice. The First ladies mm-hmm. and um, that's kind of an intervention program they're putting professionals in schools to help kids with you know some with trauma and uh, to deal with that to keep them in school. Um, and and then the Jobs and Hope takes a cut in the Senate mm-hmm. budget.
2: Well, it's interesting you bring that up because also in uh, Senator Blair's amendment that will be considered tomorrow, uh, that line item for uh, communities and schools was reduced to, I believe, 400,000 down from, I think, just over $4 million in it's the governor's proposal. It's a significant proposal. cut. But yeah. that is coming back up, I believe, to $3.4 which is still less than what the governor recommended, but only slightly. So if that amendment passes tomorrow, that will actually restore a good deal of that funding.
0: Any Anything else that um, is significant about what we see in the the two proposals right now?
2: Well, I will tell you, at least based on my numbers, when you compare the governor's budget as presented at the beginning of the the session to the Senate budget, the Senate budget cuts about 27 million off the governor's budget. But when you look at the House budget, uh, it actually increases, Uh, by 21 million above what the Senate has tried to do. So I find it kind of interesting that there are such differences between the House and Senate budgets. They've got plenty of time to work out their differences. And again, so many moving parts still waiting uh, to be passed that could affect uh, what the budget looks like going forward. But uh, I thought that was interesting that there's just such kind of of a stark difference between the, uh, you know, Eric Householder, to chairman of House Finance versus uh, Senator Blair, to chairman of Senate Finance.
0: You mentioned the um, the big ticket item of the, the foster care reform bill. Um, over on the Senate side, they were successful in getting out um, what they said is a major public health uh, bill and that's a dental bill to expand to adult Medicaid recipients, restorative kind of um, uh, dental benefit dental bed of benefits. Um, and that's a big ticket item. It's a Senate bill. It needs to go over. and, and so you just wonder if something like that um, will make it through the system.
1: Yeah, I mean anything with money right now, mm-hmm. um, people have been saying all along it's a flat budget, it's tight. Uh, THERE ARE DIFFERENCES OF OPINION ON PRIORITIES BETWEEN THE HOUSE AND THE SENATE. AND WE'VE ONLY GOT A WEEK LEFT TO RESOLVE THESE THINGS. AND I THINK AN INCREASING SENSE THAT, um, that STATE REVENUE IS GOING TO BE WOBBLY AT BEST OVER THE COMING YEAR OR TWO. Uh, SO DIFFICULT DECISIONS TO BE MADE.
0: And, and you mentioned the intermediate courts that now they were uh, uh, amending that in um, committee today. I believe you were listening to it just a little bit ago.
1: Yeah, they were uh, amending that. Senator Romano just walked by and <laughs> that caught his attention. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. I mean, so even Senate Senate Judiciary Chairman Charles Trump testified before the House Judiciary Committee this this morning and. Uh, Acknowledge that that bill has been before the the Senate and has passed through the Senate four or five years in a row now, and he said he truly believes in it, which is why he continues to do it. But the obstacle has been the House uh, and the first. Step that's kind on of that.
0: unusual, isn't it? I mean, he was at the public hearing, or did you yeah. see Senator Trump? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. and people kept uh, conceding their time to him, mm-hmm. saying, yes. "You can, you can have my time to speak." But he testified this morning. Um, you rarely see, at least I do, um, a a lawmaker from the opposite chamber coming over uh, to testify, although I wouldn't be surprised if you see Speaker Hanshaw do it on his investment fund, uh, because he's the only one who really understands the nuts and bolts of it. But Senator Trump has continued to be um, out front in his support of this and uh, is certainly straddling that line between a senator and, and someone who is Essentially, lobbying for that bill,
2: and also with this particular bill too. When you look at some of the issues that have come up in the Senate, that uh, have been kind of key issues of the Senate, the Greyhound Breeders Fund bill, mm-hmm. it failed. Uh, the tax reform proposals, the House bill, the, well, the Senate bill passed, but the resolution that went along with yeah, that. Yeah, I'm
0: going to I'm going to just pause right there because I I, I do want to take a, a look back at that. We try to do that on on Friday. That was a major major piece of legislation or initiative on the the Senate Republicans part um, we have a little bit of that debate just um, Stephen just briefly set set us up at once again what was the proposal for and then we'll hear arguments for and against before the vote
2: sure well just quickly the the Senate bill was specifically dealing with uh, removing uh, Tangible personal income tax, uh, both manufacturing, inventory, uh, motor vehicles, and then also included tax increases for sales and tobacco taxes to make up for that. It was going to cost 300 million, but with the tax increases included in that, it was uh, that will have taken care of 200 million of it, but will have left 100 million either for possible budget cuts later, or savings that have came in for and
0: republicans tax. largely were saying that this is this is needed we were an outlier that we were what we were the only state or one of very few that had this kind of tax and um democrats were saying but the but the uh the taxes that you're putting to to, to fill that um would be on um individuals Uh, Let's listen to the back-and-forth persuasive arguments both ways. We'll first listen to Senator Mike Romano, Democrat from Harrison County, Senator Richard Lindsay, Democrat of Kanawha County, Senator Craig Blair, Republican of Jefferson County, and Senator Charles Trump, Republican of Morgan County. We want to
1: get rid of the business personal property tax. We all know the motor vehicle tax
0: was thrown in as
1: a way to force us to vote for it, but you know the bad thing about Democrats is you can't make us vote for bad policy. We don't like that. We, we just refuse, and maybe sometimes to our own detriment. The easy thing to do would have been to vote yes and tell everybody we lowered the motor vehicle taxes, but that's a facade. That's not what we're doing. We're playing magic. Appears the tax cut. Behind our back is the tax increase.
2: to sell the resolution on the idea of saying it's the people's money let them decide. We make that decision every day in this body on a whole number of issues, on a whole host of issues. And I submit to you that it's difficult for the public to make an informed decision when we can't even agree on what type of tax benefit if there is one that the people would gain.
3: If we're willing to put something out there on the ballot that is so bad and so ill thought out Are we not putting ourselves at risk? Mr. President, I have no fear of that. I'm on the ballot. I have no fear. I trust the people in West Virginia to make the right decisions when they're given the right information, and that will be denied to them here in just a few minutes.
1: Let's adopt this resolution and send it to the House of Delegates, and let's give the people of West Virginia the right to decide for themselves whether they want to give the legislature the power to lower or eliminate the tax on their vehicles, to lower or eliminate the tax on any tangible personal property, machinery, equipment, inventory. Let's let them decide the question.
0: I need to make a correction. I misspoke. I said uh, Senator Craig Blair was from Jefferson. He's actually uh, from Berkeley County. So I wanted to to correct that. Um, Brad, before this vote, which uh, of course went down, uh, the the uh, Senate leadership, the Republicans, mm. gathered beforehand, and um, several of them spoke. Uh, What was your sense? Did they really believe they were gonna get that two-thirds majority that they needed for this?
1: Uh, I think they had their doubts, and that's why they had that gathering at the back of the chamber. Uh, It was mostly for media, but uh, intended to show their support. And the pitch they made was, look, we have already passed an accompanying bill that would essentially put the, the tax issues into code, but please let the people of West Virginia, was their pitch, uh, decide on a constitutional amendment dealing with these property taxes. Uh, so they made that one last pitch, and to me it was kind of a rarity because they were trying to push it over the goal line. As it turned out, you know, they were nowhere near. They were five votes short, including two members of their
2: own caucus. And it seemed kind of odd, too. Uh, I heard this from a number of people uh, the day before, you know, when they passed you know, Senate Bill 837, which had the tax cuts and tax breaks in it. There was a lot of confusion as to why they voted for that first uh, versus voting for Senate Joint Resolution 9, the constitutional amendment that would have actually uh, put the language in the Constitution to allow them to do what they wanted to do in Senate Bill 837. Why didn't they vote for the SJR first, uh, which would have failed, but then they wouldn't have had to vote on SB 837 to put themselves on the record, particularly going into an election year uh, for various uh, tax increases.
0: All right. Something else that we've been um, following this week, and that is the um, what's been known as the Harpers Ferry tourism bill. You both have mm-hmm. reported on that. Brad, why don't you uh, start out and tell us what that is, and and what was the opposition to it? It did pass.
1: Oh man, do we have another half hour? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All
1: right. So actually,
0: three minutes. <laughs> uh,
1: the, the town of Harpers Ferry has been debating more than a decade about um, the way. The restoration of a historic hotel should take shape, and uh, this is the Hilltop House Hotel, which dates back to the 1800s. Unfortunately, is now closed and deteriorating. But uh, a couple and uh, some some um, other investors have bought the property, uh, have plans to
0: make a huge investment,
1: rebuild it. It's more than a hundred million dollar investment, but it has been bogged down uh... in details Mm -hmm. uh... for example should the roads outside the hotel which are roads belonging to the city be turned over to the hotel developers so that they can change the shape of them and and contour them in a way that they see fit to accept deliveries and um... you know cater to their guests so all these details have, have not been agreed to over the years uh... finally both the developers and most of um, the delegation representing the Eastern Panhandle has run out of patience and their solution has been uh, to, in some cases, uh, very large investment projects, 25 million dollars and above, but in instances of very small towns, 2,000 people or below, uh, in, in some instances the development office could take over uh, overseeing these development projects. Uh, it, was a, it was a partisan vote in the Senate. Essentially, Republicans said, yeah, let the state intervene, uh, and Democrats said, that's overreach, which is a little bit of a philosophy flip-flop. Uh, the House of Delegates was, was a dominant vote, uh, bipartisan, saying, yeah, let's do it. Uh, so that vote was finalized in the Senate this week and now goes on to the governor whose development office and tourism office I think are uh, in favor of it. But it might not be the end because the town of Harpers Ferry is also considering legal action.
2: Well, just real quickly, uh, you're looking at an issue of local control versus frankly, some craziness in the town. You're talking about an election that's still waiting to be decided. I believe that's going before the state Supreme Court. Uh, we have a situation where the mayor's daughter was charged with uh, illegally voting because she also is registered. In a very
1: close election.
2: Yeah, in a very close election. When you, I think Republicans are all about local control. When they see this and all the craziness that, goes, that has gone on for almost a decade in Harper's Ferry, I think you have to weigh the pros and cons.
0: All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Brad McElhaney of West Virginia Metro News and Stephen Stephen Allen Adams of Ogden Newspapers. Thank you both for being here tonight. Thank Thank you. Thank you also in the senate today lawmakers passed senate resolution fifty nine declaring it domestic and sexual violence awareness day at the capitol several stood to praise members of the west virginia coalition against domestic and sexual violence we'll hear first from senator ryan weld of brook county senator roland roberts of raleigh county and senator william elenfeld of ohio county
1: what these people do i think is kind of unsung and unnoticed a lot of times because they're working behind the scenes. While the prosecutor might be the one in the courtroom, they're the ones that take the time and meet with the victims outside of the courtroom before the trial while it's pending. And and so I think it's very important to recognize the work that they do.
0: But one of the things that this body and our state needs to address is to put in those preventive measures so that we could help our people, our population, not have to go through the experiences that would lead them to these people. And that is not being done uh, nearly as much as it should be done. These folks
3: work under the radar. They work discreetly. They work confidentially. People don't realize how important they are. They work hand in hand with prosecutors and police officers throughout the state. If you talk to a prosecutor, deputy sheriff, police officer, they will tell you that they could not do their jobs effectively without the work of the people that we're about to recognize.
0: Randy, we spent the morning talking to members and guests of the West Virginia Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence, who gathered here at the Capitol today.
3: Six years into an escalating relationship of across the board physical, verbal, mental, financial abuse, Megumi swan Lehman says without just happening upon a victim's advocacy program, she might not be alive today.
0: I believe without programs like this, and if I wouldn't have left, um, it was escalating, getting, you know, worse and worse. And so I think, you know, there would have been some fatalities.
3: The West Virginia Coalition Against Domestic Violence, the West Virginia Foundation for Rape Information and Services, and the West Virginia Child Advocacy Network, all statewide service and treatment coordinators, who all agree that the challenges are overwhelming and the solutions must be multifaceted? Shelter, emergency shelter, comprehensive case management, crisis advocacy, safety planning, court advocacy, basically any need that they have that's caused by their victimization.
0: Last year, in the last fiscal year, um, West Virginia Child Advocacy Centers across the state saw new cases of 4,000 554 children, and um, the majority of these cases, more than 50 percent, were due to allegations of child sexual abuse.
3: These women say child advocacy and rape crisis centers do not extend to about a quarter of West Virginia counties. They say inadequate funding leaves tens of thousands of victims without vital close-to-home help.
0: We uh, spend over 36 million dollars incarcerating sex offenders every year in West Virginia, um, but only 125,000 on the victims. Domestic violence relationships are a taking time bomb, and it's hard to leave. It's very complex, and so having programs like this to help you is is amazing, and that was what was awesome for me. I am very thankful for programs.
3: Programs that this new mother with a new loving partner says are lifesavers. I'm Randy Yoey for the Legislature Today.
0: Monday on the Legislature Today, we'll pick right back up with the budget process and continue to follow the action in both chambers. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us this week. Have a great weekend.